Well, Happy New Year's, everybody. So glad you're with us here at Northside Online. My name's Nate, one of the pastors. So thrilled that you're beginning 2021 with us. And I just want to remind you, if this is your first time, next weekend we will be in the building. Thank the Lord. Uh, We had an incident with our staff here the week of Thanksgiving. A matter of fact, we had about 20% of our ministry staff test positive for COVID. And then we had about 70% of our ministry staff get exposed. Uh, to that when we were setting up for Christmas, which made us have to re-shut down our campus. We didn't want to, but we needed to for the safety of our staff and for you. But let me just say, our staff is doing better and we are thrilled and excited to be able to gather again next weekend. We do have a little bit of a service time change just to make you aware of. It'll still be Saturday at 5 p.m. And then on Sunday morning, we're gonna move from 9.30 to 9.45 and 11.30, which is is our normal service time. So just a reminder on that. Can't wait for you to be here with us next weekend. Uh, But we are starting a brand new series today called The Most Excellent Way because all of us are looking for a new way in 2021. All of us are looking for a way to not repeat 2020. And, And let me just offer this. What would it look like if I could guarantee you today All right, no 1995 or any of that. I'm saying I could guarantee you today, right now, the most excellent way to live 2021. That I could guarantee you. There is a way for you and I to live. All of us were looking for it, right? You know, we got the, the different commercials that are offering things for us to buy, to improve our life, to get better, to change our life. But all of us are looking for a better way. Matter of fact, in my own prayer life, I've been praying this, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live in 2021? What's been neat is this, the word that God's just been putting in my life is this, it's the word foundational. And I'm, gonna, I'm praying about it. I'm like, all right, God, you've given me that word. I want to see more what you have for me. But here's the deal. When you and I begin to go after God, he always has the most excellent way for us to live. And here's the word I want to give you that we're going to look at today and over the next two weeks is this. It's the most excellent way in the Bible. It is the way, it's a guarantee for you and I to experience all that God has for us in 2021. You don't have to wonder what it is. You don't have to go seeking it. It's already there for us in God's word. And here's the word that God has for you and I today so that we can experience the most excellent way in 2021. Here it is. You ready? Love. That's it. That's the word. Now, no, some of you are all like, oh, really, Nate? Come on. I've tried that before. I've been hurt by that before. Can I just kind of clue you in a little bit here? God's love is absolutely different than any other love we experience in this world. God's love is a love that comes in. It's a redeeming love. It is a grace-filled love. It is a second, third, fourth, fifth chance type of love. It's a love that pursues us. It's a love that holds us together. It's a love actually that meets us in the tension. Where we're going to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today in the next two weeks. And we're just going to take three weeks literally to unpack one chapter of the Bible. And some of you maybe have heard this chapter before. When I begin to read it here in a second, you go, oh, yeah, I heard that at a wedding before. I heard that, at, you know, I heard the bride and the groom, that the pastor said that before, the vows and all this other stuff. The only problem is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 isn't a wedding verse. 
We only let it be read at weddings when it says love is patient and, and love is kind because we go, those are good things. And if you're going to be married, you ought to do that. And, and let me just tell you, if you live by 1 Corinthians 13 in your marriage, your marriage is going to get better. You're going to grow. But here's the thing. Paul did not write 1 Corinthians 13 to address marriage. You know what he did? He wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to address the problems in the church. 1 Corinthians is a letter to the church in Corinth, which basically if you were to go start a church in Vegas and you go, oh boy, you know, you got all these different people coming to Christ. I wonder what that church would be like. Read the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is all about how this wild society came and found Christ. But here's the deal. They started to choose the non-excellent way. Matter of fact, if you read, I'll just kind of summarize what happens in the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians. Paul begins to call out their divisions. There was immaturity in the church. There was arguing. There was bickering. There was favoritism. There was gossiping. There was sexual immorality. Literally, if you go and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a man is bragging about sleeping with his stepmom. That's just jacked up, man. I know that's a long time ago, and you go, hey, the world's changed. No, no, no. This is jacked up. And here's the thing. It was happening in the church. And the reason why Paul writes this letter, specifically this chapter, is this. Every time you and I get out of whack in our life, you know what we're missing? The love of God. Every time we bump into sin, every time we kind of lose our cool, every time we deviate from God's plan for our life, what we're doing is this. We've moved someplace, whether knowingly or not, we have moved away from the most excellent way of life. Paul writes this word in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As a matter of fact, here's what was interesting as I've studied this and I've learned from other people. Every time Paul writes one of his letters, it's to address one of three things, faith, hope, or love. He spends 12 chapters addressing all of their problems. And then listen to what he says. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, right before he goes into verse 13. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. You and I, we don't have to worry about what is the most excellent way for 2021. God already has a force. And listen what he says. Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing without love. And if I give all I possess to the poor, surrendering my body to the flames, dying for my faith, but have not love, listen to what he says, I gain nothing. This is how much love matters. This is how much love is the most excellent way. And then he goes into love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. And it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. See, I think sometimes the reason why you and I, we kind of think the word love or the idea of love is not really going to help us is because we've actually not experienced the type of love that God has for us and who he is. He goes on to say this, but where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see, talking about when we are face to face, when we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known by God. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, let's say it together, love. It's love. See, this is the most excellent way for us as Christians. This is the most excellent way that God has come to redeem in the midst of our tension, in the midst of sexual immorality, in the midst of debauchery, in the midst of broken lives and wrecked lives, especially in the church. Paul says, this is the most excellent way for you to live, church. It's not of you, it's not by you, but it is a love that is for you. It's an, it is the most excellent way that changes everything about us. It, it begins to change the way we think. He, here's where some of us, we, this is why we kind of get done with love because the world has all these different ideas of love. You might have a different idea of love, but what we've got to back up is this. When Paul talks about love, he's not talking about his own idea of love. What he's talking about is the love that Jesus introduced. Actually in the book of John, Jesus' best friend writes a gospel and he uses a new word to define love. It's the word agape. Now, now the world knew, one, a sexual love, an eros love. They knew phileo, they knew, this is where Philadelphia, this, this idea of brotherly love comes in. That's why Philadelphia is the, the city of brotherly love. We know these different types of loves. But John writes about a new love, a love that the world doesn't know in John chapter 13, because Jesus introduces us to a love that the world doesn't know. Listen to what he says in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, because this is the love, this is the most excellent way of love that Jesus introduces us to. Listen to what he says in verse 34. Jesus tells his disciples this right before he's about ready to go to the cross. This is his last night with him. He wants to give them the most excellent way. And he says this, he says, a new command I give you. A new command, something radically different. And here it is, love one another. Now, hold up, that's in the Old Testament. Jesus, that's not new. You're, you're just quoting Deuteronomy chapter six. That's been God's heart all along. As a matter of fact, Jesus, you've quoted that in Mark chapter 12 that you summarize the entire Old Testament. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But listen what Jesus says. He takes it a step further. He doesn't just say love one another. He says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He didn't just say love one another as you see fit. He says, as I have loved 
you. Jesus is redefining what love looks like. And he goes on to say this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, we know the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Here's the thing about Jesus in this passage. You know what Jesus does? Jesus says, that's the golden rule. I've come to give you the platinum rule. I'm taking it a step further. Because Jesus says, left to our own ideas. Well, you know what, you know what sounds very loving to me? Uh, if you would leave me alone, that, that would be very loving. So you know what? Since I want to be loved, since I want to be left alone, I'm going to leave you alone because I love you. Jesus says, that's not what love is. Here's what love is. Love is loving each other as Christ has loved us. Love is not what you think it is. Love's not what I think it is. Love's not a feeling. It's not a thought. It's not all these other things. Love is the demonstration of a sacrifice of Jesus laying his life down out of love to redeem and rescue all of creation. By this, Jesus said, by this way of love, the world will know you're my disciples. I love this quote where it says this. It said, if you were convicted of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prove you guilty? See, the evidence of us being a Christian isn't just our good works, the evidence of us being a Christian, Jesus says, is this, how you love as I have loved you. Can I just offer this a little bit? I know the world will disagree with Christianity. I know forever until Christ returns, uh, we will never be the most popular people being Christians. We're not going to be. That's okay. But can I maybe help encourage us with this? Is this your definition of love? To love the way that Christ has loved us. To love the world the way that Christ has loved us. See, Jesus redefines all this stuff. This is what Paul is doing. Matter of fact, I love what the theologian N.T. Wright says about love. He says, here's what we've got to understand as Christians. He says, love is not a duty. Love is our destiny. Love is our destiny. This is what God made us for. And it's a love that's different than the world. It's a love that's deeper than the world has for us. It's a love that redeems. It's a love that reminds us of who we are in Christ. It's a love that sacrifices for those who you go. They're not, maybe they're not worth sacrificing for, but Jesus sacrificed for us even when we didn't love him. See, this love, it changes everything about us. This love sees the world differently. This, this love, it begins to see people right where they are, but loves them the way that God loves them. Here's the big idea I want us to kind of sit with today is Paul talks about this as Paul writes to the church to remind them of the most excellent way. Not just to this kind of finicky, sixth grade and love, Tweety Bird idea, but this rich, robust, redeeming love. And here it is. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. What he is talking about in this moment of this is recapturing the most excellent way. Is he saying that we would be people who live from the love of God rather than for the love of God. 
That's a big difference, isn't it? Living from being loved instead of living for love. Matter of fact, that's what a lot of times gets us in trouble, whether you're a Christian or not today. You begin to live for approval. We begin to live for the applause. We begin to live for all these affirmations from everybody else. And here's the problem when we begin to live that way. At some point in time, they're going to dry up. Or you're going to do something worth being loved and appreciated and nobody's going to appreciate it. That's what makes us mad, isn't it? I do all of this and this is how you thank me? You know, for all you moms this Christmas who put everything together and then all you got was like a pair of socks, right? You know, everybody else, you know, got the PS5. We got all this other stuff. We're like, hey, mom, got you some socks. Merry Christmas. You're like, "Mm, good, thank you, thank you. And what happens is when we begin to live for love, one, it never adds up and it never satisfies. This is why Paul takes a whole chapter of the Bible It says, life in Christ, the most excellent way is learning how to live from the love of God. To learn to live from that love. Let me just ask you a question. Just be honest with yourself. You don't need to tell anybody. Do you really believe that God loves you? That God delights in you? I'm not saying that you and I don't have any imperfections. We do. God knows that. He sees that. But be honest. Do you believe that God looks at you and delights in you, loves you, rejoices over you? See, this is what love does. It it begins to change the way we think and see Not just the world, but ourselves. Because it's a love that's from God. It's not our idea. It's not our ways. It's God's way. And here's what I want to do. Next week, we're going to jump into the whole idea of really what does love require of us? What does love look like? It is patient. It is kind. It is gentle. It is all those other things. And here's here's sometimes where I skip. I just start running there. Okay, this is how I need to love. I need to be patient. I need to do this. I need to do this. The only thing is this, we skip the first three verses. And Paul writes here first because he goes, I know you may want love and I know you may want to live the most excellent way, but here's the deal. You will always miss the most excellent way until you begin to address what's really going on in your heart and in your life. And that's what I want to do just for a moment today. I want us to to begin to address some of the ways that actually we miss out on the most excellent way. God loves you. He is for you. He wants to redeem. He wants to grow us. He wants to transform us into more of his image. But here's the thing. Paul addresses some things that the church actually had wrong. And if we're not careful, you and I will have wrong. And the first one is this. Here's one of the ways that keeps us from the love of God. The first one is this. If you're writing down, you may want to write this down is this that we begin to trust our abilities more than we trust God's ability to love us. That's what begins to keep us from this most excellent way. It's not that God doesn't love us. It's not that God doesn't rejoice over us, but we begin to trust more in our abilities than we do the ability of God to love us. This is why Paul writes this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... Man, if I can speak unbelievable language, if I can do all of that, but I have not love, 
You know what he says? He says, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And this is what happens with a clanging cymbal. You know, this is what happens, you know, cymbals are really cool, man. They make music sound good. But when it's just like a cymbal solo where you're just like, yeah, it's just this horrific sound. If any of you got a drum set for your eight or nine-year-old, God bless you, right? You're like, what have we done? Because all you hear is just this sound. And this is what Paul's saying. You may be gifted, you may have a ton of ability, but here's the thing, if all you trust is your gifting and ability and you don't trust the love and the gifting and the ability of God to hold you together, you know what your life just sounds like? Just a clanging cymbal. Oh, you're talented, oh, you're gifted, but people say this like, man, it's just, I mean, they're good, but they're gone, they're annoying. Daggone, it's it. You, you know when a symbol, you know when a hi-hat really comes together? It's when a hi-hat is played with the jazz trio. And it starts playing with the bass and the guitar and the singer. Or in a rock band when it starts playing with all the other drums. And you hear all the music start coming together. This is why you've never heard a cymbal solo ever before, right? Because you're going, a cymbal by itself Man, it doesn't sound good. A symbol compliments. A symbol comes around and makes things better. And see, this is what love does. Love begins to take all the gifting and the ability that God has blessed us with. And instead of trusting in our ability, when we begin to trust in God and his ability and his love for us, it redeems our gifting. I know for some of us, this year has been so hard. And one of the best ways to break out of the funk, if you find yourself in a funk, is this. You use the gifts that you already have to go bless somebody. There's been several days where I've just been defeated, driving home from the church. Man, I'm trying, you know, we're, we're navigating so many things and I just feel defeated. And I've been reminded over this again. And one of the gifts that God's blessed me is encouragement, just to encourage people. And one of the things that I've done just on days where I just feel defeated and just kind of done is I'll just start texting friends, even church members and go, hey, I just want to let you know how much a blessing you are to me. And here's what happens. Sometimes they answer, sometimes they don't. But in my own soul, what begins to happen is I don't just live in isolation. I begin to use my gifts to bless other people, whether they return it or not. I just know this, the more I stay in discipline of letting God's ability and his love to define me, the more it does my soul good. Here's the tension that we face with this though. How you get paid, promoted, and applauded most of the time is through your gifting. And so it's easier to trust your gifting, your ability to bring love into your life. But there will come a point in time when your ability and your gifting will be disregarded. It'll be bypassed. Maybe it'll be overlooked. And when we only trust in our ability for our love and for our identity, it will let us down. This is why Paul says, man, if you can speak in tongues, if you can speak in the voices of angels, if you can have all this gifting, all this great stuff, but you do not have love, you've missed it. See, we gotta be careful where we're placing this. Matter of fact, this is why we need to allow the word of God and the love of God to define us. I love this scene in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. It's at Jesus' baptism. 
See, when we get baptized, when we are baptized into Christ and we die to ourselves, and we are raised in a new life, that his grace, not my gifting, not my good works define me, that his grace defines me. Listen what happened at Jesus's baptism. I love this. I'll never get over this. I hope you never get over this passage either. It's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. It's the love of the Father. And the love of the Father is like a dad at a Little League game that just can't help but celebrate his son or daughter. They just can't hang back. And in verse 17, at Jesus' baptism, it says this. I love it. It says, and a voice from heaven. God rips open the heavens and he speaks down. And listen to what he says. He says, this is my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. To just listen to those words for a second. Too many times we're waiting to hear the words of people give us affirmation from our gifting rather than hearing from our God. And in that moment, I can only imagine what Jesus must have felt. He left heaven, left this community with his heavenly father, left perfection to enter this broken world. And in the midst of his broken world, you hear God saying this, you're my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. See what happens is God, when we are baptized into Christ, when we live our life full of him, this is what God speaks over our life. God says this over us, you are my son and daughter. I love this. He's going, you are a part of my family. And not only that, I love you. See, this affirmation, this affection that we need, God speaks in this moment. And then he says, with you, I am well pleased. You know what he's saying in this moment? Jesus, I love you even before you go to the cross. That's what he's saying to you right now. I love you before you even close that deal. I love you even before you get nominated. I love you even if you didn't get homecoming king. I love you even when you got rejected for that job interview. I love you. I reward you with Jesus even before any of your gifting gets affirmation. See, this is what it looks like to live from this place of love. Are you trusting more in your ability? Or are you trusting in the ability of God's love to hold us together? That's why Paul says, be careful. Be careful, man. You can speak, you can have all this gifting, but if you do not have love, you're just a clinging symbol. Then he goes on next and he says this, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Whoo! What Paul's saying in this moment is this. Not only is it about trusting our ability, he goes, if, if you want to move away, if you want to miss the love of God, if this will keep you from the love of God, is that we begin to trust our thoughts more than we trust God's thoughts. 
That's why he's calling out. He's going, hey, if you have the gift of prophecy, if you can fathom all these things, if you have all knowledge, if you have all this wisdom, but you do not have love, what he says is this, we are nothing. Wow. He's going, man, you, you can have all this wisdom. Matter of fact, that word knowledge, it's where we get the word Gnosticism from. And Gnosticism, and it's rampant in the world today. It's even rampant in churches. People can claim Christ, but then they can claim also to have like a, a special revelation that nobody else has or, or nobody else knows. And what happens is this, sometimes we can begin to go, I'm so smart and I trust and I allow my love for my wisdom and my knowledge to actually supersede the love that Christ has for us. And here's the deal with this. This is why it gets dangerous because we begin to trust the special revelation that we have compared to trusting the redemption of Jesus in our life. See, all knowledge, all wisdom comes from the redemption of Jesus in our life. He's greater than anything else. And this is why Paul says, man, you can be brilliant, but here's the thing, if you are brilliant, but you do not have love, you are nothing. And he even says that word, I am nothing. He says, if I just trust, and this is Paul's background. He was first in his class. He was smart. He was 4.0. I mean, the top of the Pharisees, passionate, had all this other stuff. And what he realized was this, I had all of this, but I did not have the love of God in my life. Oftentimes, this is why it's so hard today to talk with people, to have conversation if we disagree with people. Because you go, hey, I'm just disagreeing. And, and we say this to each other. Why are you taking that so personal? I'm just disagreeing with the thought. Because here's why. Our thoughts have become our identity. And so when somebody disagrees with us, you're not disagreeing with the thought. You're disagreeing with me. And the problem with that is this. We've let our thoughts become our identity compared to the thoughts in love of God. This is where we got to be careful. Even within Christians, sometimes Christians will neglect or look over parts of the Bible because they go, well, I just don't think that's a big deal. Or I don't think that's something we need to really think about or care about. And Paul says, hang on, time out. More than your thoughts, it is about the thoughts of God. This is why I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. When he begins to talk about our minds and our thoughts, he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Too many times we think of God as an all or nothing God. If you're having a bad day, man, if you've been convicted of some sin, if you've not had the best decisions in the past couple months, you go, you know what? I'm just an absolute failure. No good. Nobody's loved me. I've lost this, this, and this, and this. And, and those are your thoughts. And, and maybe there are some truths in that. You have made bad decisions, but here's the deal. We have to be careful not to trust only our thoughts and forget God's thoughts about us. Jesus says it this way, I've loved you with a new love by this, as I have served you, as I have given my life for you. Let that thought rule your thoughts. Let that thought have your heart. See, this is why the most excellent way will always keep coming back to the love of God. It's the love of God. 
that changes our thoughts about ourselves. It's the love of God that helps us to see other people, even if they don't love God. It's the love of God that allows us to live out of him instead of our ability and our gifting. And then the last one is this. Paul goes on and he says this. He goes, if we want to experience this love, he says, here's what we got to remember. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor. Whoa, man, that's super generous. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. If I go and I'm a martyr, I die for this. But I have not love. I gain Nothing. Paul says, be careful here. Be careful. Because if we're not careful, we'll begin to trust in our generosity. We'll begin to trust in our effort. We'll begin to trust in our passion. And here's what he's saying. He's going, be careful. He goes, you're going to miss the most excellent way if you trust in your passion rather than God's passion for you. Heads up. Hey, this is what I love about Southern Indiana, man. I love this culture because in this culture, this area, I mean, you guys work hard. There is always a hard effort. There is always people laying their hearts on the line. They're working hard. I loved watching this fall, just going through, watching the, the harvest and the fields come down and go, man, those dudes are out there working hard. Here's the thing. Hard work is good. Sweat is spiritual. Working is not a curse. Here's the only thing. If hard work is good, we have to be careful because if we're not, if we're not defined by God's love, here's what will happen. We'll let hard work become our God. And it won't just be good anymore. It'll be our God. So why Paul's saying we will miss the most excellent way if we begin to trust more in our work ethic than God's love for us. It's not wrong to work hard. But here's what happens with idols in our life. And here's kind of what I, I'll just be honest, here's what I struggle with. You know, I don't have just this uh, one gift that, that's so good. I can't always just speak in the tongues of angels and all that. And, and, you know, I don't have this wisdom and all this other stuff. And, you know, I was a six-foot backup center on my high school basketball team, which meant this. I ain't tall. I got an ugly jump shot. So you better have all heart and passion. And here's my temptation. I'll begin to overtrust in my effort than the effort and the love and the sacrifice of the cross. That's why Paul's saying this. He's going, hey, time out, church. This is why you're having conflicts right now. You're over-trusting in your ability. You're over-trusting in your knowledge and what you think is right. And you're over-trusting in your own passion. And what happens is this. You just sound like a clanging cymbal. Or you become nothing. Or he uses this phrase here. He says, you actually gain nothing. You actually gain nothing. See, too many times we've chased what we believe is the most excellent way. And we've come up empty. And God has been saying this whole time, no, the love of Christ, Jesus is the most excellent way. Just think with me for a moment. What if, as we head into 2021, we begin to understand that we already have all that we need as we begin a new year? 
I'm not saying your problems are going to go away. I'm not saying tension is going to go away. I'm not saying conflict's going to go away. What I'm saying is this. Internally, what would change in your life and in this year if you already believed you had the most excellent way to live? How would your thinking change? How would your perspective change? John has to write this again in his letter in 1 John. In chapter 4, he can't get away from this. He, he reminds people of the way of Jesus and saying, by this, not by our way of love, but by the way that Jesus has loved us. Paul, this is the most excellent way. And then this is what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. He just says it plainly. He says, this is love. I don't want you to miss it. This is love. This is the most excellent way. And then listen to what he says. Not that we love God, not from our ability. So kind of take yourself off the hook. I don't have it all together. Hey, God's not asking you. You know what he's asking? Would you receive my love? Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Not just in words, but he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A new command, a new love, a new way. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's what I'm learning. It doesn't start with will you love God and love people. It starts with Will you be loved by God? The most excellent way begins with you and I being loved by God. Because this is love. We've been doing this over the past couple of weeks. And I just have one question for you to think about today. I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. I want you to write it down. Maybe take a picture on your phone. Because you're not going to be able to answer this just in a few seconds. But here's the question I have for us today as we begin a new year. It's simply one question out of this passage and it says this, where do you need to begin to live from God's love instead of for God's love? Where do you need to begin to live from God's love instead of for God's love? Now here's my thought. You're not gonna be able to answer that in just a few seconds of just reading that, but this is gonna require you and I beginning to do some soul searching, beginning to really look into the passage. I'm, gonna, I'm inviting you, go read 1 Corinthians 13 again slowly and ask God, God, where am I living more out of my ability? God, where am I living more out of my thoughts than your thoughts? God, where am I living more out of my passion rather than your passion in your love. And here's what we'll find. We'll find the most excellent way to live, which is God's love for you and I. Let me pray right now and we'll live in that way. Father, thank you. Thank you for this word that is timeless. Thank you for this word that speaks into our tension. Father, and we, we just go ahead and say, we know there's gonna be... 2021 is going to be a year full of tension. And right there in the midst of the tension and overwhelming us is going to be your love. So, Father, today, would you help us by your love face the imperfections of our life? 
Not just so we can feel bad, but Father, so we can find a new way forward. Lord, I ask, this is my prayer for us, that God, our hearts over the next three weeks, Father, would allow your love to do a work that only you can do. Father, as we begin a new year, God, we say we are surrendered to your ways. So Jesus, today, right now, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. We will see you here next week in person or online. God bless you.